0: 10.03 and we spent some time looking at the Six Nations to begin the show this morning. We're going to stay uh, looking at the UK football now, but we're going to stay at home when we do it and talk to uh, one of New Zealand's finest. He's a great pundit for Sky Sport, uh, but also uh, a former custodian for the All Whites as well. Talking, of course, of Jacob Spoonley. Uh, And uh, he joins us now at a time where Liverpool are reigning supreme. They've uh, already banked one trophy. The EFL Cup is uh, in there and uh, Jurgen Klopp is flying mighty high. Uh, So Spoons, good morning to you. It is uh, a golden era, I think, on a year where they're going to say goodbye to Jurgen Klopp. But uh, they might say it with a lot of celebration and the way things are going. Good
1: morning, Smithy. been a wee while, mate, but happy to be back chatting to you. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I think you you mentioned golden era there. And uh, it's definitely been a period of reinvigoration and evolution under Jurgen Klopp. And I think we're hitting the home stretch now. And it feels like there's more and more tension building. We're heading towards what the fans will hope will be a quadruple. So Liverpool are on course at the moment to win the EFL Cup. They're still in the FA Cup. They're still in the Europa League And they're sitting atop the Premier League Now it's not the sexiest Trophy cabinet Because you'd like to have the Champions League in there But it is definitely a way To fare well A manager who a lot of fans Are putting up there with Shankly With Paisley, with Doug Leash And the best thing you can say about Klopp Is that he leaves Liverpool A much better An entirely better place than he found it
0: That is great because I was just going to ask you that he is already in the top five. You can add Joe Fagan to that list. So a lot of this, when you look at three of those five managers we've just talked about, we're talking some pretty, I won't say ancient history, we're going back for some golden periods. Just Kenny Dalgleish really, who a lot of our listeners would really associate. But those that follow Liverpool will know those other three names very well. Is Klopp really being held in that regard?
1: He is, and I think this is where I love being part of this club. I I love being a fan of this club, Smitty. And if we pause, it's the fans that are making this assessment. It's the fans that are elevating Klopp into the conversation with the Liverpool greats. And I think for our listeners, what we're talking about here is a club that has a history Uh, there's a richness, the equivalent of the All Blacks. So the All Blacks, you talk about generations. You can go back to the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Liverpool have the same. It starts back in the 50s with Shankly. As you say, it moves through with uh, Paisley. I forgot Fagan. Apologies. But if you look at Klopp's trophy accumulation compared to those managers, it doesn't really Mm. stack up. He, He hasn't got the European Cups, the Champions League equivalent. He hasn't got the Premier League, um, the Premier League. He's gone close a number of times. He's missed out by a point on two separate occasions. But what separates, in my view, Liverpool from some other clubs is that the fans understand the emotional complexity the, the DNA of the club and what they want to see is somebody that embodies them on the side of the field, somebody that gives the club direction and that importantly creates moments creates hope and belief and that's the currency that the fans are relying on to put Jurgen Klopp in the conversation uh, with the greats like Shankly and the like um, and I think as well Smithy, let's not forget that Jürgen Klopp came into Liverpool at a moment where the club had been rescued from bankruptcy, was sitting there in about eighth in the Premier League and had a squad that was absolutely diabolical and was a mixture of a number of false starts under previous managers. So that's the entire picture that Liverpool fans are looking at and that, Smithy, is why you heard probably the best rendition of the Le, Lea Lea Le in the second half of Extra Time. Uh, yesterday, when the fans wanted to get the academy products, wanted to give them the support and get them over the line against the billionaire Bob Jobs.
0: Well, I I saw last week uh, when 1-0 down at half-time, they scored four second half um, unopposed goals as such to win 4-1. And I just saw uh, their evidence uh, when uh, the players had left the park, basically Klopp was still out there and he went to every corner of the ground Gave them three punches, you know, three punches to the, you know, in the air. And it was like, wow, this is like a, a ritual for him. Uh, and there was absolute adoration there. We know there's passion in British football, but there was adoration there that's seldom seen from a manager to his club.
1: You're right, and I think it speaks to the fact that there's this kind of symbiotic relationship between the fans and clock. The fans will get jerking up and uh, give him the energy that he needs to, to navigate and conduct the team with that passionate rock and roll, sunbred uh, type of football. Equally, at halftime, go back and have a look, Smithy. Right before uh, the end of the first half against Luton, with the team down 1-0, Harvey Elliott makes a pass, which tries to dissect a number of different players. It's slightly over and you hear the groans just creeping into Anfield. It started to feel like it could fall the other way, where the, the fans were going to put the players under pressure to get the result against a team that was down the bottom of the table. You turned around and, and nipped that one in the butt. And he said, you've got to be involved in the second half, or at least from this point on. You need to get these boys up. You need to give them the energy to get them home. And the other thing I would note, mate, is that we don't have the European football midweek nights at Anfield. So a lot of the energy that would be exerted in those midweek fixtures, those higher level fixtures, is now going to be focused in on every single second that Jürgen Klopp is at Anfield uh, until the end of the season. This is a farewell tour, but it's also a tour that's focused on giving people memories to really celebrate his tenure.
0: So what's the secret on the park? If I look at Manchester City and I look at goal scorers, you know, obviously go to Harland, who is a wonderful finisher, but what has been the secret that Klopp has put together on the park? Is it a team? Is it individuals? What is the strength now, all of a sudden?
1: I think with Klopp, it's really clear. So if you look at Guardiola, for example, to make the reference, um, his team is the best team in England. I think there's no two ways about it, but Klopp's Liverpool side is a machine where the sum is bigger than the part. The process, the production is so ingrained into the players. They understand that they are component pieces of this overall machine. And he gets the right done. He picks the right player for the right position and ensures that they have an understanding in those key ingredients so that they can perform as part of this high-tempo, high-pressing, massively energetic side. uh, And, what we're seeing now is an interchangeability between that first team and let's acknowledge the fact that they had basically a starting 11 out yesterday no nunez no salah um no tiago no allison and goal um you can name many other players as well but they had the academy products that have been honed and refined and sharpened against the first team footballers and the likes of mcconnell the likes of clark uh, even Harvey Elliott, who's still only like 19, but um, Kwanzaa so at the back, um, and then Conor Bradley, who's been a revelation down the right-hand side, they stepped up and they drove Chelsea backwards. So I think that's really what Jurgen Klopp has designed here. Not only a team in 11 that can compete for the title and can push Man City, but also Academy products that can step up and replace without there being much drop-off in terms of quality.
0: Right. right, let's look at uh, the league then, uh, the EPL. Uh, Liverpool, 26 matches played on 60. Uh, Man City, 26 played on 59. And Arsenal, 26 on 58. Next best, Aston Villa, who I don't think are going to be title threats come the end of the day. So three-horse race uh, f- from all accounts here. Uh, is, is that pretty much how
1: you see it? I think that's bang on the money. And I think... The- Use your wonderfully coined phrase, by the barest of margins, this is going to come down to a point, I reckon. It could even come down to goal difference. Um, Man City will not want to give up their supremacy. And let's remember that we're now into the period of the season where Man City typically start absolutely rolling out results. They grind down things. They don't lose from February basically to May. Um, they drop very, very few points. Now, it's new for Arsenal, but we've seen Arsenal get better balance in their squad. They were a very attacking team last year. They were confident. There was a bounce about them. Um, but defensively, they weren't as resolute and they fell away. I don't think we'll see that from them this year. And then I think for Jurgen Klopp uh, at the moment, it's all about can he get his best 11 on the field for every game from now until the end of the season. And if that happens, I think we're going to see Um, a coalescing of these sides into a direct confrontation come the end of the year. And Smitty, there's one point I'd make, and it was beautifully made by Paul Merson. It matters when the teams play on the weekend. And from now until the end of the season, I think Man City only play um, once before Liverpool on any given weekend. Now, the reason that's important is because when it's this tight, you can bet that the players are watching the games. You can bet that they are checking the scores right before they go out onto the field. And if Liverpool can keep the pressure on Man City to the point where Man City keep having to respond to shorten the gap between four points down to one point, that's a huge advantage for Liverpool. Now, it relies on the fact that they actually pick up all three points in the end of their games it's coming down to those fractions, those minute details that will be the thing that separates each sides. And it's the marking of the end of an era. It's the last time Copp is going to be pushing Guardiola. And it could be the first time Arteta actually elevates himself into the conversation about the Premier League title.
0: Let's look uh, at uh, the equally interesting bottom of uh, proceedings. Now, two sides are clearly uh, in deep, deep trouble. That's Burnley and Sheffield United. Luton Town is seven points above them but still sitting in the relegation zone at the moment. That would be a horribly poor end to a romantic story about Luton if they were to go up and then go straight back down. Everton, uh, who seem to be perennial salad dwellers, are still under threat there. And I'll go as far as to saying Nottingham Forest is still in the mix as well. Still, uh, for those teams, uh, basically 12 games to go like everybody else. How do you see the bottom? Burnley-Sheffield Wednesday, we can put a line through them, can we, and we're just fighting out third? Yeah, I
1: think, I think that's the case. Chris Wilder is probably more defiant uh, than Vincent Company and uh, he's saying that Sheffield United still have a chance. But Vincent Company seems resigned to the fact that his record-setting Burnley side that accumulated more than 100 points in the championship last year will be playing back down in the second tier next season. So I think those two bottom sides will fall away it's really now a conversation about who joins them. And I'm with you, I'd love to see Luton Town stay up in the Premier League. Um, they are a side that seems to hark back to yesteryear. They've got a small ground. Uh, it's not the sexiest uh, city in England to go and visit. Um, no. But the question, is, the question is, how do they get out? And I think it might not come down to what happens on the field we've still got the decisions around the points reductions, the second point reduction for Everton, and the first for Nottingham Forest. So that could impact things um, in terms of the running at the end of the season. And of course, those are for breaches of the financial fair play regulations in the UK. Yeah.
0: Well, I heard uh, this morning, I'm not sure if you're over this as well, I'm pretty sure I heard that Everton had their, their points
1: reduced to six this morning? Yeah, and that is indicative to me, uh, indicates to me, um, that they could get a further points reduction smithing. So for everyone, okay. they were initially provided with a 10-point reduction, that since been reduced to six, um, but there's been subsequent breaches of the financial fair play regulations, and there's a second investigation which is ongoing at this point. So if you were going to reduce it, it suggest to me that the second um, inquiry will also result in a points reduction
0: Okay, we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, Let's just go a little bit more domestic, shall we, in terms of the Phoenix, and why wouldn't we want to talk about them? A successful road trip, which sees them atop the table. Uh, 19 matches played with 37. Still quite a long way to go in this season, actually. Uh, The Central Coast Mariners, uh, three points behind them, and then uh, the Melbourne Victory on 31. We look at uh, what's coming up. The Phoenix this uh, Sunday have got uh, Adelaide followed by a match away from home against Melbourne City, then they're back home against Sydney. So uh, how are you looking at this? This is a hell of a story. I'm loving it.
1: It is, Smitty. It is truly amazing. The Phoenix have only lost twice this season. It's, It's remarkable. They've accumulated eight clean sheets. I've, I've laboured this point in the past, but I, I can't get over it. A 21-year-old in goal playing his first full season. A 20-year-old that has only played a bit-part role under Ufuk Tully has played every single minute in Finn Sermon. Lucas kelly Heald is 18 Smithy. He's just left school, and he's played majority of the minutes on the left-hand side. And then, to round it all out, we've got the All-Arts right-back in Tim Payne, which is bombing on and creating absolute havoc uh, down opponents' left flanks smithy to put this into context the phoenix have now accumulated more points this season with correct me if i'm wrong here eight games to go than they did last season over the course of the whole season it's it's staggering stuff uh they are currently 10 points clear of six which is the um, bottom playoff spot they are 14 points down to seven so they're almost at this stage secured a playoff game now we heard David Stone say that expectations have been recalibrated. There's been a realignment. The Phoenix are going for a top two spot, which means that they are aiming for a home playoff game as a bare minimum. But I think this team has got every attribute to go on and push for the uh, the, the title. Now, the reason why I'm encouraged is because they've added Houston Sellers to their midfield. And... Go back and have a look at the last five minutes against Perth. The guy was a dynamo. He makes an 80 metre sprint to shut down. I think it's Adam Taggart right at the last, and he did that the match before against Macarthur, where he does a wonderful job nullifying early DeVia right at the death. We've also got Preve and Zavada returning. Costa Barbarusis. We're not sure how far away he is, um, but Alex Ruffa returned to the side. Tim Payne is returning to the team. These are all things that amplify the quality of the side. And it's really exciting because they're coming up against Adelaide in the weekend, where you can join us on the Sky Sports coverage, and we'll be looking at Sulla and the impact that he's had on the side and the build-up. But then they've got Melbourne City and Sydney, two wonderful fixtures um, over the course of the next fortnight as well.
0: Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Before I let you go, Clark has just texted in and says, can I ask about the points deduction for Manchester City's financial dealings? What Are you over those? <laughs>
1: Yeah, slightly more different, Clark. Uh, Everton went to um, the uh oh, sorry, the Premier League and said, hey, can we do X, Y and Z? And it turned out they only did X. So Y and Z weren't done and that's why they're in a world of hurt at the moment. Manchester City are a slightly different situation. I totally understand where he's coming from, but when you've got the ability to call upon a country's natural, uh, sorry, a, a country's national wealth in order to offset any... Uh, losses that you are making in relation to transfers and salaries. Um, it's a bit of a different story. It's a lot more complicated and they are still, as I understand, looking at 70 to 80 uh, potential charges in relation to the financial fair play breaches. So watch that space. Um, but yeah, tell the people you're coming from, from Clark. Okay, thanks Thanks for clearing that up Right,
0: okay, uh, Jacob Spoonley As always, uh, fantastic uh, for you To uh, to come in and help us out and, and just make us better informed And I'm pretty happy uh, for you at the moment Because there have been down times But as you say, four trophies are on the card So I can't think of a better way To say thank you And to uh, wish you all the best for the rest of the week Than play this for you, mate when Have a terrific week you
1: are You're a good man, Spoonley Thank you,
0: Here's what, thank you.
1: Hold your hand up high.